And we're on a series called First Things First. And we talked to you last Sunday about values, about personal values, traditional values, and core values. And today I want to talk to you on Christians in an anti-Christian culture. And we're dealing with a lot of issues that America is facing today and the Supreme Court decision, how does that affect the church? And we share with you Wednesday night on a class on what in the world's going on where I talked about seven major events that are taking place between June and September, and, and we know that they're taking place. We don't know what the outcome of many are going to be, but some are biblical patterns that we understand are going to happen. And today I want to talk to you about Christians in an anti-Christian culture because America is experiencing a major shift right now. The biblical foundation that America was established on no longer exists in our nation. Chief Justice John Roberts, who opposed the uh, same-sex marriage ruling, he said this. He said, the court today not only overlooks our country's entire history and tradition, but actively repudiates it or opposes it. And so much of what we as a society has viewed as taboo and illegal will in our lifetime be viewed as law and become the norm. And so the question is, how do we as Christians respond? What are we to do as individuals, and how do we respond as a church? It's amazing, several pastors this week, uh, I have the honor of, of covering several pastors, the men of pastors, several pastors, and, and several called me this week saying, Pastor, how do we handle this? How do we handle this? And and my answer was this, is the Supreme Court ruling the, the slaughter, the unbelievable slaughter of lives in South Carolina, the racial unrest that we see in our nation, the conflict over the Confederate flag, all these are very, very real issues in our society. However, we as the church and Christians cannot allow ourselves to allow these issues as real as they are, and yes, they need to be addressed, but they cannot pull us down into something to disqualify us from standing up as the church of Jesus Christ and being our very best in the hour that the world needs us the most. That these are issues that must be addressed. They cannot be ignored, but they cannot become our number one priority. The Great Commission must remain that. To go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if the enemy can get us debating over an issue, we will miss the divine purpose of God for the church. And, and, and I was asked this week, I, there was, what else are you going to say? And my response was this, there's nothing more to say. This is the church's finest hour to shine a light and love of Jesus to a broken down society. When the world goes another direction, we do not need to panic and fear and anxiety going, oh no, oh no, oh no, look where the world's going, look where the world's going, but we need to stand firm on God's word and understand that this isn't the first battle heaven's had and we're gonna be okay. This is not the first time God's been slapped in the face. It did not end well for those who did it before and it won't end well for those who are doing it now. But... Who every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that the Jesus I'm preaching about and you just worship to for 30 minutes, he's Lord. And it's going to be all right because here's what's really happening. God is setting the stage. God's not causing things to happen, but he's using things that are happening that he is setting the stage. You've got to understand biblical history. Jesus said, I'm going to put a hook 
in the mouth. Many of those people in the European Union right now that are opposing Israel and think they're in charge, they don't even realize that God in heaven has a hook in their mouth and he's pulling everybody in position. They think they're in charge and they're pawns in the hand of an awesome God in heaven who's putting everything in place. And right here in America, there's political powers and, and all these other powers that think they're in charge and they're not. God's setting the stage for the greatest revival and spiritual awakening that the church of America has ever seen. And you and I get to be a part of that. What's making many in the church uncomfortable is that we're the minority for the first time in 100 years. We're used to the world admiring us and respecting us and now they're spitting on us and, and, and mocking our faith and, and we don't know how to deal with that because we've never experienced that kind of persecution before. So I want to go into scripture today and I'm going to take you on a very quick journey to get to the, to the final points of what do Christians do? What, what should Christians in the church look like in an anti-Christian society? I'm going to take you to another example in the scripture of the nation of Judah who experienced a very similar, almost identical situation that we're in today and what caused their decline and their demise and then what did they do to respond to it? You ready to go? All right, let's go to the scripture. Isaiah 5, verse 1 and 2. Read it with me. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And what does that mean, Pastor? This is a song and a picture, a sad song, a depressing song of a farmer who went out and bought choice land. He bought fertile soil. He tilled it properly. He planted good seed. He watered it right, but it produced bad fruit. And the nation of Judah was just like that. They started out the best. They had the best blessing of God upon them, the best land, the best protection, yet they ended up producing the worst spiritual harvest in their history. Judah is a perfect picture of America today. Are you with me? Just stay with me. They'll take care of babies. You, you stay with me, all right? See, she's telling y'all, get ready to amen. That's what she's trying to do right there, all right? And so they're painting a picture of Judah and her spiritual decline, and we will see a complete parallel with America today. America, a nation that has been abundantly blessed by God. Our natural resources of timber, coal, gas, oil, fertile land that yields crops in massive quantities. America is the product of good seed. 52 of the 55 former framers of the Constitution were evangelical Christians. We have good seed in our heritage. Patrick Henry put it like this. It's coming. It cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. Not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what this name, we've got good seed in the ground. We've got good soil. We've got a good foundation and God's blessing should have produced a harvest of, of all kinds of righteousness, but it hasn't. We find ourselves at the lowest moral decline in our nation's history. And so I want to show you six parallels, six areas of sinfulness and judgment 
that was in the nation of Judah that we see exactly in America today. We're going to go through these very quickly. Number one, I want you to see and understand this because every one of these sins or judgments starts with the word woe. W-O-E, woe. It is a biblical term that means damned, cursed, judged, or assigned. It means that God's judgment is now upon you, and they always refer to a nation in crisis. Anytime you see woe, it's referring to a nation in crisis. And before every sin or judgment is mentioned, there's the woe, and then God defines what's causing that judgment. Before I go into those, I want you to understand Edward Gibbons and, and the great rise and fall of the Roman Empire. He gave five attributes that marked the end of Rome, five characteristics that they possess right at their demise and, and their destruction. Here they are. First was a mounting love of luxury, affluence. Got to have it all, never enough. Second, a widening gap between the rich and the poor. Boy, do we see that. Thirdly, an obsession with sex. Don't have to go there. Number four, freakishness in the arts masquerading as originality. And then number five, an increased desire to live off the state. Do we see a repeat of the fall of Rome happening right in front of our eyes? And now let's go to Judah and let's see the pattern that we're following there. The first area of sinfulness found in Judah and we'll see in America, number one, is excessive materialism. Excessive materialism. And watch, watch what the scripture has to say. Woe to you, damned, judged, are you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. Isaiah is referring to those who accumulate and then accumulate and then accumulate some more while ignoring the plight of the less fortunate around them. Greed. There was this greed. How many's glad to have a good house? Some of you blessed with building new ones, buying new ones. How many likes a car that works? Yes. How many like clothes that fit? <laughs> Most of the time. All right. But there's nothing wrong. God wants you blessed. But when it goes into a place of I've got to have more and more and more and more and more and more, and what he's referring to is people are buying up the land and saying nobody else gets any. It's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine, it's all mine. And do we not see that same attitude in America? When a society is absorbed with things, when wealth is considered the means of the end rather than a means of having the opportunity to bless others, that society is in decline. Isn't that what the apostle Paul said in Corinthians 9 where Jesus said, what you sow, you're gonna reap. If you sow much, you'll reap much. If you sow little, you'll reap little. He said, but if you give to me, if you sow to me, I will give back to you and more so that you can now give more so that I can give back to you and more so that you can give more. That is the lifestyle of the true believer that will impact society through the grace and the love of Jesus through our giving and sharing of our benefits. But when material... That, that, that whole attitude of excessive materialism is the sign of a downfall of society and we see it rapid in our nation today. Number two is an unquenchable thirst for alcohol. Here's the next woe, next woe. Watch it. 
Woe to those damned, damned, cursed, judged are those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night until they are inflamed with wine. They have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. The party crowd, let's go party. It's Friday night. Let's go party. We'll be at church Sunday. We'll tell God we're sorry, but let's go party. Now, I preached last Sunday on the values, personal, traditional, and core. My personal values, my family for five generations have not dealt with alcohol. And we thank God for that. It's a personal value, a traditional value that's in my family. I have no right to put that on someone else and go, you're going to hell and a sinner if you drink a beer or you have a glass of wine with your meal. That's a personal value to me that I cannot make someone else's personal value. But if you go out and start getting drunk, you're now dealing with a core value of the Bible that Jesus said, all drunkards shall have their place in the lake of fire. Now you're dealing with a core value, not a personal traditional value. And one of the downfalls of the nation of Judah was that they were becoming drunkards. Even though alcohol is destroying their marriages and their family, even though that alcohol started, every alcoholic started as a social drinker, even though alcohol is destroying their body, 52 diseases are attributed to alcohol. Even though every six minutes in America someone dies from a result of alcoholism, I'm going to keep doing it. Isn't it amazing we're wanting to ban everything in society except the one thing that's causing more deaths than the others because most of our lawmakers use it. We've got to come. It was a downfall of a nation. Number three, unashamed sinfulness. Unashamed sinfulness. The next woe, y'all with me? Don't worry, that's depressing right now, but I'm going to resurrect you in a minute, okay? But am I not telling you the truth right now? Whoa, whoa, damn, cursed, judged are those who draw sin along with cords of deceit and wickedness as with cart ropes. Let me explain that to you. Proudly parading and flaunting their sin in public like a Macy's or a Thanksgiving parade. Do we not see that? Two million just marched. We just lit up our White House to promote homosexuality as law in our nation. Proudly promoting, proudly sticking it out there Proudly, we just saw two million people march with many hanging on crosses, naked, fondling each other in a mockery of Jesus and the cross. We saw people marching as homosexuals with their a Bible built around them with their face shining through the scripture. We just saw in Germany a parade of homosexuals that literally wiped the orifices of their body with scriptures pulled and ripped out of the Bible and thrown at, at Christians. I'm being just as plain as I can be. That's the degradation and abomination that the enemy will take society when they start parading publicly their sin in the face of God. And don't worry, it wasn't just homosexuals. It's been with abortion. It's been with many other issues in society. And we've got to come and realize, and and I said it last week, we have homosexuals that come to this church. We have adulterers that come to this church. We have fornicators that come to this church. We have alcoholics that come to this church. We got pornography people that come to this church. We are a hospital. And you are welcome here and you are safe here. And we're going to love you and we're going to teach truth to you. We're not going to okay sin. We're not going to okay anything that goes against the core value of God's word. But God's called us to be physicians and God's called us to love you, to hold you, to cry with you, to pray with you, to heal you. You are in a safe place to find the healing that you desperately need and I desperately need in my life on a regular basis. And that's the church we are and we're going to be. 
But I'm talking to you about if we repeat the same pattern, we're going to get the same result. We see it all across our society, proud, proud of our sin, proud of going against the core values of God's word. Look at what it is. Not only are they blatant, but listen to what Isaiah says. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 19, look at what he says. To those who say, let God hurry, let him hasten his work so that we may see it. Let him approach, let him plan the Holy One of Israel. Let the plan of the Holy One of Israel come so we may know it. What's he saying there? They're tempting God by saying, God, if you want to do something about it, why don't you try? Isn't that the attitude we're seeing in America today? God, if, if you don't like this, why don't you do something about it? If there's a God, why doesn't he show himself? If, if God's not happy, then why doesn't he stop us? And I can answer that today. It's called grace. It's called mercy. For Jesus said, whether to shalt thou come, but no further, my spirit will not always strive with man. Just because the hammer of God hasn't come down, don't mistake that for God letting it go. It's called grace and it's called mercy. Number four is the exchange of values. Next woe, next woe. Y'all still with me? Woe to those, judgment. Judgment to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. A complete reversal of understanding what is right and what is wrong. People substituting light for darkness. For generations, people stood up against abortion, but now they support it. People once stood up for the core value of, of sexual purity and, and stood against sexual immorality, but yet in our pulpits and our churches, we condone it. It was once good to have a standard of biblical morality and stand on the core values of the Bible, but if you do now, you're a prude, a bigot, a discriminator, and a hater. The abnormal has become normal. Everything has been reversed. What once caused people to be ashamed now amuses them. A complete turning of light into darkness. Number five, an arrogant pride. An arrogant pride. Look at the woe. Damn, damn, cursed, judged are those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sights, a word called pride. Do you know that pride is the first of the sins mentioned in Proverbs chapter six where God lists a, a group of sins that were abomination to him that kept us away from the presence of God? The first one's pride. If you don't believe this is true, just turn on the news. Everyone's an expert today. Everybody's all of a sudden an expert on every. I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Everyone has the right idea whether they know what they're talking about or not. We live in the most conceited culture that has ever walked the earth. I mean, from politicians to preachers, listen to them. I'm the best as ever been. Listen to athletes. Who's the best? Kobe or LeBron? I'm the best. I'm the best. Kind of started off with Ali, didn't it? Who, I mean, the guy was an amazing fighter. But didn't he start a phrase that's been continuing on? I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. Now everybody thinks they're the greatest. Don't you see it on social media? Who's the greatest president we ever had? How about thanking God and praying for all of them? 
Who's the best basketball player? I don't care. They're all overpaid. Everybody's got to be the best today. You know what that is? Pride. Anytime you hear someone saying, I'm the best, that's called ego pride. And pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit will always come before the fall. Number six is unjust courts. The next woe, the next woe. Next woe, woe, damned, judged are those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at missing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. A legal system that has become so convoluted that you have to wonder if it even knows right from wrong. Is it even worth putting faith in? And you can have your debates on everything else, but this is a major issue in our nation today. One in three black men in America will go to prison. One out of three. The average black male will be given 10 times the sentence of any other nationality for committing the same crime. Black youth make up 16% of the youth of our population, yet 37% of their cases in court are moved to criminal court and 58% of our black youth are sent to adult prisons. That's called an injustice in the court system of America today. And it was a sign of what took place in the day of Judah. It's a sign of what we're seeing today. One of the greatest hopes I've ever received in my life was two weeks ago when I had 11 of these young men stay in my house for three days and two nights. They ate everything in my house, all right? They did, I'm always gonna eat now. We had a budget and they went way above it, I can tell you, the first night. And... Uh, and uh, we ate one sandwich. I saw these guys eat three. Some of them ate three. I'm talking dogwoods, all right? And uh, then dude can eat. But you know what? We, we had a lesson on culture and racism. And I brought two black pastors from our community over to help me teach. I, they taught it, and I just sat back. And, and, and we didn't even plan it, but we wound up having five African-American young men, five Caucasian young men, and one guy that's half Jamaican and half white. And it just worked out that way. And, and these guys, these pastors come in thinking they're going to teach our kids how to get along. And it, we were all in just amazement at our young boys in this church. I'm talking 14 to 16 years old that go to school and their best friend, their blacks, their best friend are some white guys in this church. And the white ones, their best friend are black guys in this church. And they go to school and their black buddies are going, why are you hanging out with that white dude? And their white buddies are going, why you want to hang out with that black brother over there? And they're going, that's my best friend. That's my bud. That's my bro. That's who I live with. That's who I run life with. That's my partner. We spend the night at houses. We go out to eat. Our family, our family together. I'm telling you, there, if, if we would shut the media out of this, we wouldn't have 90% of the chaos going on in our society today. I, I've intentionally, stay with me, I, I've intentionally done this over the last two weeks. I've washed, intentionally I've gone and I've washed and I've made myself come in contact with black people in society that I could just walk by, but I have intentionally stopped to see the response. I have not had one negative. People in society want to get along. People in society want to be friends. I've done it just to kind of do a little experiment, just to see, are we really that angry at each other? Are we really hating each other? Or, you know, I, I had a guy meet me at a, a register last 
last night to get a card. I forgot late. Anyway, and, uh, and so I, I'm talking to this guy, and, and he's a black young man, and we start talking. I spend 15 minutes talking life with this young man. He's like, you must have an amazing wife, and we start talking, and, and he's engaged, and, and the whole thing, we have this 15-minute talk about life, and I'm a pastor, man, and blah, 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 and, and it had nothing to do with color. It had to do with life. And we're seeing a repeat of an injustice in a system that we cannot deny. You can have your opinion on a flag, but you cannot have your opinion on injustice. It's real and it has to be dealt with. We see what, what's happening to Judah. What's happening to America? Why did they have the same thing? We find the answer. Why did this happen to Judah? Why are we seeing it in America? It's found in Isaiah 5, 24. Read it with me. For they have rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. That's why. In 1962, the Supreme Court removed prayer from our schools. In 1963, the Supreme Court banned Bible reading from our school. They reversed 150 years of tradition in an effort to remove God from our society. In 1963, the Supreme Court started their campaign to separate the church and the state. Until that time, the court had embraced the idea that the Word of God was the basis for our society. Can I tell you, since the Supreme Court removed prayer and Bible reading from our public schools, SAT scores have dropped 80 points. Teen pregnancy is skyrocketing. Crime in our schools is skyrocketing. Who would have ever dreamed that you'd have to have a, a guard in a public school to keep students from killing their teachers? In 1973, the Supreme Court went further with Roe versus Wade, and since 53 million babies have been killed in the womb of their mother in America. Why? They rejected the law of the Lord Almighty and spurned the word of the Holy One of Israel. So now I've got you all depressed. Let's pick you up, all right? So how do, what do we do? What do Christians do in an anti-Christian society? Number one is run and into the presence of God. Run into the presence of God. Look, look, Isaiah now, he comes. He's told us the negative, but now he wants to tell us what to do. And here's the scripture. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and the word Lord there comes from Adonai, which means the sovereign Lord. Uzziah was a godly king. He was a good king. He took care of the people of God. He covered them. He protected them. He watched over them. And now he's dead. But Isaiah said, in the year that we lost our human king, I saw my heavenly king. And in the year that I lost the one that I had my confidence in down here, I saw the heavenly king and I saw him high and I saw him in his majestic being and I saw him lofty and I saw him lifted up. I saw him. It's going to be okay. My earthly king is dead, but my heavenly king is very much alive. In a moment of crisis, he runs into God's presence and found out that God is still on the throne. God is still ruling. God is still in charge. God is not worried. God is not caught off guard. God has not called a meeting with the Trinity in heaven today going, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? He's got it all in the palm of his hand. He ran into the presence 
of God. And regardless of what you see taking place around us today, I want to tell you today, our God is still on the throne. Our God reigns eternal. He's not changed by the actions of man. He's not moved by the actions of man. He's still on the throne today. And we've got to run into the presence of God. Isaiah ran into his presence and saw him. He was elevated. He was amazing. And he said above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Seraphs designed to protect the throne of God. And with two wings, they covered their face. And with two wings, they covered their feet. And with two wings, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The whole earth, the whole earth, the whole earth, the whole earth. In the midst of her crisis, in the midst of her calamity, in the midst of her downfall, in the midst of her dismiss, the whole earth is filled with his glory. Isaiah, he ran into the presence of God and immediately he hears this back and forth from seraphim to seraphim. Holy, holy, holy. And here it comes back, Sister Gladys. Holy, holy, holy. And here it comes back. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory, angelic beings around Jesus that all they do day and night is cry back and forth, holy, holy, holy. It's the Lord God Almighty. You see, we cannot comprehend this because we cannot do and, and will not understand the true holiness of God because of our sinful nature, because of our carnality. We cannot comprehend the true holiness of a majestic being called God because they see him, they know him. They're in his presence day and night. They've known nothing but his presence from the beginning of time. They recognize his holiness, his purity, his awesomeness, his majestic being. They understand who God is and all they can do day and night is declare holy. Holy, holy. Why did they cry three times? Because God is holy, and before he's anything else, he's holy. It means in essence and nature, he is different from all others, separate from all of his creation. His absolute otherness makes him holy. There's no one like him. His holiness is his only attribute that's ever mentioned in repetition in the Bible. You never hear grace, grace, grace. Never hear mercy, mercy, mercy. Never hear he's love, love, love. Never hear he's kindness, kindness, kindness. But you hear it. He's holy, holy, holy. And when we approach him, we must once again enter his presence recognizing that he is nothing like us. He's holy. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. And in verse 4, it says, and at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. His tangible holiness, his sovereignty. And when we look around and see the moral decline of our society, we need to move past the anxiety and the fear. And we need to run directly into the presence of God and recognize today that our God is not like other gods. He is holy. He's holy. He's holy. And he still governs the earth from his throne. And can I tell you today what God is doing? He is setting the church up for the greatest spiritual awakening that the world has ever seen. He is setting the church up 
Because light shines its brightest in darkness. Light shines its greatest in darkness. And the church has never grown like it's grown other than in the midst of persecution. And the church is not dead. The church is not in a stagnant place. I can't preach to the world today, but I can talk to you. And we can take this word today and we can grab it in our heart and we can run into the presence of God and we can acknowledge that he's a holy God today and he's governed the earth from his throne. We have a president as a nation, but we have a king as a kingdom and he's governing the whole earth. We pray for our president. We bless him and ask for guidance. But I wanna tell you, the one who seeks to guide him is the one who governs the whole thing anyway and he's the one that we cry, holy, 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 holy to. The greatest time in history for the church is right now. It's not time to get in a foxhole and go, what are we going to do? 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 We're going to do what he put us here to do. And that's go build the kingdom on this earth. Number two, I've got to hurry. Run into the presence of God. And then Isaiah repented. Now, I want you to get this. He repented, and he's the number one spiritual leader of the day. He's not some heathen out there. He's a spiritual leader. And you know what he did? He repented. And can I tell you, this must become part of us again. And, and let's look at this. He runs into the presence of God, and the first thing he does is repent. And notice, here's another woe, but it's on the other side. Watch what he said. Here's Isaiah talking to God. He's running to the presence of God. He sees the holiness and the majestic being of God, and he says, woe, damn is me. Curse is me. Judge is me. This is the spiritual leader of the day saying, curse is me. Damned am I. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, to stand in the presence of a holy sovereign God is a terrifying thing. He would do us well to remember that. We often treat him like a buddy instead of a God. When you start talking about the man upstairs... He's way bigger than that. When you start calling Jesus dude, it just irks me when I hear people disrespect his character and his person. He's not your buddy. He's your redeemer. He's not my buddy. He's not my dude. He's not the man upstairs. He's the most awesome, majestic, powerful holy ever existed in this world. He's my father. He's my redeemer. He picked me up when nobody else wanted me. He healed me when no doctor could dig deep enough to cover my hurts and my wounds. He put broken pieces back together in my life. He secured me in my darkest hours. He's no dude. He's the almighty God in heaven who governs the world. When we come into his presence and we recognize his holiness, the first thing out of our mouth is not what you're going to give me next. Is woe is me. 
a man of unclean lips, for I have no right to be here outside of the righteousness of your son, Jesus, that now allows me to boldly come to the throne of grace and call you my father. Moses on the Mount of Sinai, as the glory of God came down, the Bible said the mountain shook. Lightning and hail fell down from heaven. And in Hebrews, we can read it in chapter 12, Moses put it like this. He said, I'm shaking with fear because I sense the presence of an almighty God. Peter, remember Peter? When Jesus told the disciples to put their net on the other side, and all of a sudden a miracle happened in the wrong time of the day, and Peter knew that something supernatural had happened, and when he got in the presence of Jesus, he fell down and bowed before him. Recognize I'm in the presence of an awesome, almighty God that just reversed nature in front of me. He's our friend. He's our Savior. He's our Father. But he's also an eternal, awesome, almighty God. On one hand, we can boldly come to his throne of grace, but we must never forget outside of the redemptive work of Christ inside of us, God is unapproachable. His holiness would disqualify us from his presence outside of his son Jesus making atonement for our sin. Why? Because I'm damned. I'm ruined. I'm hopeless. But whosoever will, let him come. Whosoever will, let him come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I can come. You can come. He's invited us to come. He's allowed us a right to enter his presence. But when I get there, the first thing, Lay, if y'all can help me, Lay, okay? The first thing that I will do when I enter his presence is acknowledge my sinfulness. Acknowledge my unworthiness. Acknowledge that I have no right to be here outside of Jesus. And realize that Repentance is not just something I do the day I get saved. Repentance is something I do every time I enter his presence, realizing the holiness of God and the wretchedness of who I am. Then in verse 6 and 7, Then on the seraph flew to me with a live coal in his hand, and, and when he had taken the thongs from the altar, he then took it and touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Come on, can I hear a hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus, on that. But what, what is that saying to me? Repentance is painful. He took the coals from the altar. He put them on the prophet's lips. I mean, if you want to know if that's real or not, go home in the middle of your grilling today. Don't do that because it will hurt. But that's what he was saying. It was so painful for me to do what I did. Literally, he had to take coals and touch my lips for me to see the sinfulness of who I am. But then he let me know something. Your guilt has been taken away, Isaiah, and your sin has now been atoned for. And you see, this is not a moment in time for the church to act self-righteous. If there was ever a time for the people of God to be broken in spirit and of a contrite heart, it's right now. It's not good enough that we get the marriage thing right and be wrong on everything else. Don't go out there and judge another man for his heart until your heart's right first. 
to be in the presence of a righteous God will cause us to immediately become aware of our own sinfulness. We've got to come today and realize that if America is going to see a true move of God, it's not going to come through political movement. It's going to come through a spiritual power that has been birthed out of a repentive heart of the church. When's the last time you and I knelt in the presence of God broken and repentant? Not because you had sinned, not because you had gone out and done something wrong, but simply because you understood the vileness of our flesh and we needed to cry out to God, holy, 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 are you God? I'm wretched, I'm lost, and without you, I'm nothing. When's the last time I come in his presence broken rather than a dude attitude? Only after... Only after we've risen up from this type of brokenness do we have anything to say to the world. They're not interested in your church. They're not interested in TC. They're not interested in hearing me preach. But when a broken vessel that is found in humility and grace can walk out with a word of life rather than a word of judgment, The world will now want to hear what I've got to say because I recognize I need him as much as the one I'm trying to deliver the message to. It happened this week. Thursday. We had our meeting about most excellent way and they told me, Pastor, there's a young lady in the back of the church and we don't really know what's going on. And so I came in and I walked back and Many of you know I I love to go to Walmart and stores when it's pouring down rain with a big umbrella and just walk people out to their cars. Remember I've talked about that? This lady, months ago, months ago, I didn't didn't even recognize her. She had alcohol in her breath, and she was back there, and, and, and I said, Hi, my name's Pastor Dan. She goes, I know, Pastor Dan. I know you. And I go, I'm sorry. I don't know you. She goes, I was at Walmart one day, and it was storming, and you walked me into my car with my kid. And she said, You gave me this card. She said, my world's crashing right now, and I told God I was going to take my life, and and I just asked him to let me go somewhere where somebody will love me and care for me and somebody will help me. She's sitting back here on a worship night on a Thursday night, and Thursday I got to pray with her and give hope to her. and We got her to a place where they're helping her now and her little girl. And I want to tell you, until you're broken, you have no opportunity to heal somebody broken. Until you come broken before God and I come broken before God and realize and recognize that I need you as much as the world does. I have nothing to offer them but pride and ego, selfishness. But when I come broken, I ooze the grace. I ooze the mercy because I know I need it every day. Last of all, and I'm going long, there must be a response to the calling of God. There must be a response. Isaiah runs to God's presence and then he repents before the Lord and now he responds to the calling. And Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, read it with me. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Are you hearing that voice today? Around us, everything has changed politically and socially and economically. Everything has changed. And yet on the other side, nothing has changed at all. What do you mean, Pastor? Jesus left the disciples 
and he gave a declaration. He gave a charge. He said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I want to tell you, that has not changed. It's the same one today calling each one of us to go into our world, our sphere of influence, and preach the gospel to every person. Gay, homosexual, lesbian, adulterer, fornicator, pornography person, addict, rich, poor, red, yellow, black, white. Go and tell the good news of the gospel. It has not changed. And God said, who will go? And Isaiah responds, he said, here, my Lord, send me. And God responds in verse 9. He says, go now, Isaiah, and tell the people. Then I want you to get this, and I've got to share this, though my time is gone. God says something very strange. Now, he's called Isaiah. Who will go? And Isaiah said, I'll go. And God says, go tell the people. And Isaiah says, okay, I'll do it. And then God comes right back in with a very strange message. He says, Isaiah, no one's going to listen to you. And that's where the church quits right there well nobody's listening anyway that's where we bail we're willing to go if we think people receive us like us support us listen to us and God speaks to Isaiah who will go I'll go Lord by the way Isaiah nobody's going to want to hear what you've got to say and then we hear Isaiah's response and he comes back and he says then I said okay Lord but how long how long am I supposed to do this if nobody's going to listen God answers him in verse 11 and 12. He says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. What God said was, Isaiah, I want you to do it until there's not another person left to talk to. I want you to share my gospel until there's not one more person there to listen. I want you to love until there's not another person left to love. I want you to preach until there's not another person there to preach to. But why would God ask Isaiah to do this if no one's going to listen? And we see the answer in verse 13. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps, where they are cut down so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. God said there's going to be a remnant. Oh, they're not going to listen to you, Isaiah, but there's going to be a remnant that's going to listen. The key, Isaiah, is you don't know who's listening and who's not. Don't judge by what you're seeing. Don't judge by people's response because there's a little lady you're walking out in her car and you don't know if she's listening or not. But in her hour of crisis, she's going to become part of that stump, that holy seed that's going to rise up in that last moment and flourish. Today, our job's not debating or judging on who's listening to us or not. Our job's to keep sharing the seed. He's sharing the gospel. And many have asked, and I'm going to be very transparent with you just for a moment. Many know we announced last Wednesday our, our little grandson, Jabin. By the way, Brad and Ashley are in New York at our New York campus. Brad's preaching right now. Well, no, he's finished right now. Kyle and Heather, they're getting on a plane after the third service to fly up there. And our team's meeting with our team of leaders up there to train and, and get, because we're getting ready for two services at our campus in New York. Come on, give God a hand for that. Our little grandson, Jabin, Brad Nash's little boy, Tuesday, we got the worst news we could get in the natural, that he's got 
what's called an infantile batten disease, which is a terminal disease. He's been given a very short time to live. But we know that God's the sovereign, majestic, all-powerful, and, and all-knowing God. And, and, uh, but I, I'm not going to lie to you. The last 10 months since September of last year when we got Jabin's first diagnosis has been the most difficult 10 months of my life. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm as tired and exhausted right now emotionally and physically and spiritually as I've ever been in my life. I've not been a good husband. I've not been a great father or a papa. I've not been a great pastor. I haven't been a great leader to my staff. There's been so much consuming my mind. I've prayed for this little guy. Someone told me the other day, you got to pray with more faith. I said, I don't even know what that looks like. I have no idea what that looks like. I've held this boy 24 hours and prayed in the spirit. I've fasted. I've done everything I know. And today I'm handing him to a great God. But I... I People have asked us, and I say that to go, because so many, and, and we have such an amazing church here, and you guys have been awesome through this journey. Well, it's not our first journey, but it's our first one like this. What can we do, Pastor? What can we do? What can we do to help your family? And those mean more to us than I can say. So I'm going to tell you corporately what you can do to help us. Number one is run into the presence of Jesus. I need you to run into the presence of Jesus with us. Number two, as a corporate body, let's repent before God. Because it's not just my grandson that needs a miracle. She's got two special needs boys that need to be healed. There's a community around us of children going to bed hungry. There's so many things happening in our society that only heaven can change. And it's not gonna happen through self-righteous people that feel we're okay. But God, bring us back to a place of repentance. And number three, as I need you to respond to the call of God, help me reach this city for Jesus. Help me reach this community for Him. I can't change Africa today. I can't change India. But you know what? I can make a major, you can make a major impact on a county that we live in if we just run to the presence of God and we repent before God and recognize our rich miserableness and, and, and our emptiness and yet His awesomeness and He's got great plans and He wants us to answer that call. Will you go? How can I start, Pastor? I'm going to tell you, and, and we're not supposed to do this, but I just told God I'm doing it and whatever happens, happens. But I preached last Sunday. I didn't know if half of you were going to come back and look, more than half come back. So I guess it's all right. What can I do, Pastor? Answer the call. Get on the dream team. That's how you can start. Help us with this sit one, serve one. Get into this ministry because here's what's going to happen, folks. I taught here Wednesday night. There's something major on the biblical calendar getting ready to happen. This is not a maybe or a might. We're going into the Shemitah and the year of Jubilee in September. There's some major events about to happen in Israel, in the European Union, and in America. I can't define exactly, but I'm going to tell you there's something about to happen. And I want to tell you this is the time to get connected with the kingdom of God. And we want to challenge you. Come to this church. Sit in a service and do nothing but receive. Just get, 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 get but then join the dream team and serve in another service. We need men in that parking lot. More men, we've got some now, but more men just greeting people in parking cars. More greeters at the front door just welcoming people. More people in our kids' zone serving our children. You don't have to go to Africa to work with children. There's 120, 12 and under back there every Sunday that are coming from broken families. They're hungry when they get here. They're mamas that are drug addicts and daddies that are alcoholics. They're 
back there. Help us change their life for the glory of God. Nursery workers, production team, worship team. There's many places. Are we broke here? No. Do we have people working? Over 120 people are serving on our dream team every Sunday in this church. Over 120. But we got 450 people gathering here every Sunday and that number needs to increase. You need to say yes to God go, where can I fit? Where, where can I serve? How can I help? Because I'm going to tell you, there's a day coming not far from now. You're going to have to come early to get that chair you're sitting in. Because somebody's going to beat you to it. Because we're going to see 9-11 again. I don't mean the crash of the plane. I'm talking about there's going to be a running to the house of God. You want to know why? Because we're a light set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And the darker it gets out there when the calamity comes, when the crisis comes, you know where people are going to run? Where they see the light. Where they see a light. Where they see a light. Where they see a light. And they're going to flood our churches one more time. And we're going to be a people ready for them this time. With the hope and the grace of Jesus. Join the team. Come out tonight at Grow Track if you're not on a team. If you're not serving somewhere, come out at 6 o'clock tonight and get in Grow Track. Get connected with the dream team and let's start serving together more and more. Make sure your tithe, your offering is going in that offering every Sunday. Do you know that this church, we put over $25,000 a month out. Yeah, this church. You know where over 30% of that's going? To Laos, to Peru, to nations, planting 10, helping plant 10 churches a month throughout this city, out our nation, helping sow seed into families, benevolence, hands up ministry. That happens through your giving. As we continue to serve God in our giving, serving God in our tithes, serving God in our service, as society gets darker, the light of the church is going to get brighter. Come on, how many's glad you're part of the kingdom? Amen. So I challenge you today. Jesus is still asking the same question. Who'll go? Who'll go? Who'll answer my call? And if you don't know what your calling is yet, I encourage you, come out tonight, six o'clock. Because we're going to help you find that. You'll get a great meal. Great meal. And then we're going to help you find your purpose in God. Y'all receive God's word today? see God's word I've gone really long if you're a first time guest here I never go this long in my past I did but in my present I don't so just bear with me today but I believe that the message today is worth a few more minutes because we're in a perilous time but it's a great time in Jesus name bow your heads with me please Father I humbly humbly stand before these people today recognizing God that I have no right to be here but only by your grace but God I pray over everyone in this room today I pray over their life I pray over their heart their family I pray blessing upon them today I pray Father in this hour that you'll awaken us awaken us God and though we're in the midst of so much chaos, Lord, and we turn on news and social media and we want to go into immediate panic or we want to go on a defense or on an attack. And Father, let us stay focused. Let us stay focused to the commission. Let us stay focused to the calling. Let us impact this community with the hope of Jesus. God, I pray over this body and while every head's bowed and every eye's closed, I want to ask two questions. How many here, first of all, say, Pastor, now I'm a Christian right now, but I, I need God to 
I'm saying yes to him right now. I'm saying yes, and I just need God to help me know where's my place? Where where am I supposed to do, God? What's my purpose? And and if you'll help us, Pastor, I'm going to find that, and I'm going to do it in Jesus' name. How many will raise your hand and say, that's me right now. I'm ready to say yes, yes, yes. I'll go, God. I'll go. You can put your hands down. How many here would say, Pastor Dan, I'm here today. Someone brought me. I came on my own, and I know about God, but I don't know Jesus today as my Lord and Savior. I don't know him today as the Lord of my life, but I realize the time that we're in, Pastor, and I need to make a choice today, and I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Pray for me. If that's you right now, would you join those that prayed this morning already and raise your right hand, and I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I just want to pray with you. God bless you. Anyone else? Just lift your hand. God bless you. God bless you. I need Jesus today in my life, Pastor. I'm not a Christian. God bless you. I'm not a bad person. I just need to make that commitment today and give him everything. Pray for me. Anyone else? If you raise your hand, God bless you in the back. If you raise your hand or you did not and you need Jesus in your life today, will you pray this prayer with me and we're going to join in. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you now. You said in your word, if I would come to you, confess with my mouth that you are Lord, believe in my heart that you raised from the dead, I can be saved. So right now, I come to you. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. I believe in my heart that you raised from the dead. And I receive you right now as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, according to your word, I'm saved. I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, you join me and let's congratulate these that are